Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read that in a moment. And before I read that, I'd like to recap and summarize the last couple of weeks. Three weeks ago, we started a sermon series called The Beauty of the Body, that is, God's people walking in their gifts and calling. And we've been discussing the fact that all of us have a place in the body of Christ, that just as my body, which is one, has many members, all of us are, are many members of the one and only body of Jesus Christ, Christ being the head. And given the fact that we're a brand new church, we have uh, very few things established, it's necessary for us to realize this fact that we have a place in the local church and there is a capacity to serve that all of us have and there is a call from the Lord for all of us to serve in the local church and the church universal. And so for the past three weeks, we've been looking at Romans chapter 12. We have primarily been in Romans chapter 12 this entire time. Now, gifts and the people of the members of the body of Christ are also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. But we've been sticking around in Romans chapter 12. And um, just to summarize very quickly, last week, last week we talked about how that Paul said, so let us use them. How many of you know that you can have something in your hand, but it's no good until you put it to use? No good until you put it to use. My, uh, my father would often have me and Jonathan mow the grass at home, and he provides the gas, he provides the lawnmower, he provides the big old lawn for me to mow, and it's not going to be done until I put my hand to the plow, in this instance, to the lawnmower. And the Lord has given us everything. By His grace, He's given us everything. But by Him saying, so let us use them, indicates that there is a capacity for us to be non-participants in the body of Christ, just to be onlookers. And if you recall, I made the analogy that it's like all of us going to a gift exchange. You ever been to a gift exchange, oftentimes like a white elephant? In that instance, you steal from each other. But in this analogy, we go to a gift exchange and you're to bring a gift. Except that the gift you're bringing, you didn't buy it, you didn't wrap it, it was given to you by somebody else. And you're just supposed to bring it to the gift exchange. And you show up to the gift exchange and you leave your gift at home and yet when you get there, you still open up a gift for yourself. That is an example of not using the gifts God has given us. Not using the calling, the place in the body of Christ, that is, that is being a self-serving non-participant where you don't show up, you just watch everybody else serve, and then you're a beneficiary of everybody else serving. Okay? That's one way that you can use the gifts. Another way is that you can abuse the gifts that God has given you. You can abuse God's gifts He's given to you by His grace and that you can use it if you're not motivated by a servant's heart, if you're not motivated by a love for God and a love for God's people, you can use the knowledge, the gifts, the, the talent that the Lord has given to you, you can use that to inflate yourself, to make much of yourself. And of course, you saw that in the Corinthian church. They lacked no good gift. They had all kinds of prophecy. They had tongues, they had interpretation, they, have, they had miracles, but they were still carnal people because they were using these gifts of grace to inflate themselves, to broadcast their own selves. It was a form of pride. It was a, a, a um, source of pride in their lives. 
And then we can use that to belittle people when we use it to inflate ourselves. Or we can use it biblically. The gifts are given to us by God's grace to edify the people of God. We are here to edify one another. Every single one of us. So that covers a few things from the last couple of weeks. But just last week, we talked about the humbling aspect of God's grace gifts. It's a very humbling thing when you consider the very nature of these gifts. And again, just recapping the last couple of weeks before I get into our primary teaching here this afternoon. But if you recall, a gift by nature is not earned. A gift by nature is not earned. Just as salvation is called a gift, has anybody in here earned your own salvation? No. And if you did earn your own salvation, when you stood before, when you stand before God, you could boast in yourself. You could boast in your works. And contrary to every other religion in the world, Christianity says you're not good enough and you cannot work your way into heaven because you have fallen short of the glory of God. So you can never do good enough things to outweigh the bad. It's, it's, you're just that bad. So you cannot work your way into heaven, but Jesus Christ has done the work upon the cross. And it's by, by grace through faith are you saved. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. If I could save myself by my works, then the work of the cross is meaningless. And so salvation is a free gift. And then he gives things into our hands, that is, gifts in the body of Christ, by his grace. And it's a humbling thing when you realize it's not because you're anything great that you have a teaching gift or an exhortation gift or a gift to, to serve in some capacity in the church. It's not anything to do with you. It's by God's sovereign grace that he has placed you in a particular place. Whether if it be the pastor who's, who's pastoring 10,000 people or it's the pastor who's pastoring 70 people, there's no comparison because each man has been placed in the body of Christ with a particular gift and we're not comparing ourselves to one another. We're going to be measured by what God has asked you to be responsible for. You're going to be measured by, you're going to be, the standard is the, the, the amount of talents he put into your hand. To some he gave two, to some he gave five, to some he gave ten. I'm going to have to answer for what the Lord called me to. And, and I'm not to, to compare myself to anybody else. And then we talked about how that because there is such a diversity of members, and because God values unity in the body of Christ, one major way in which he facilitates unity is through diversity. In the same way that a football team, every single, every single position, each of those guys is dependent on somebody else who's in a different position. And even though the quarterback or the running back may get more recognition, he can't do it without the lineman, without the kicker even, without the defense. There's all these different individuals and different personnel who all have their assignment. When everybody, because of the diversity of the entire team, they can go forward in unity for the intended goal of winning. And so it's a very humbling thing when you realize this is not a one-man show. This, this church does not rise and fall upon one person's back. It's 
We are all dependent upon one another because God has made us a diverse group of people. Just like, just like I'm not one big hand or one big foot or one big ear, that I have a diverse uh, members of my body to make up my one body. And so all the members of my body are no more or less important than the other. They're all dependent upon one another. So it's very humbling when we realize I need you and you need me. We need each other. We need each other. You're, you're not unimportant. When you come here, don't think I have nothing to bring to the table because you can encourage somebody. You can bring something that somebody else doesn't bring to the table. You can bring a measure of Christ. You can bring your testimony. You can bring what God has called you to. You can bring what nobody else can bring. And again, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with God's grace and his mercy upon your life. And so that was what we looked at just last week. So Romans chapter 1, verse 11. I'm going to read two verses here, and then we're going to go over to Romans chapter 12. And if you recall, at the end of last week, we handed out these ministry packets. It is a packet where you can view all the areas of ministry that Grace River Chapel has going on, and you can find a place to serve, to volunteer, and to be a part of, in some capacity, the body of Christ here. Um, and so if, if you didn't get a packet last week, we have packets. There's actually two packets, one that is... Uh, gives more uh, opportunity for you to share some more things about yourself, and then another packet for you to, to sign up. It's a volunteer commitment form. So we handed those out last week. Grab one today. Romans 1 and 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I have not yet read this scripture in the last three weeks. But he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. He's writing to the Christians in Rome, the greatest empire of that time period. Paul is saying, I don't long to come to Rome to see the Colosseum. I don't long to come to Rome to, to sightsee and to see... Um, uh, Caesar's great empire to see the magnificent things that you've accomplished as an empire. I come here to seek out the body of Christ. And why do I want to come to you? Why do I want to see you face to face? Because I want to impart something to you. I want to impart a spiritual gift to you. That word impart just means share or to distribute with the understanding of liberality or generosity. It means to share liberally what you have been given. And not only this, but he goes on to say in verse 12, that is, and he clarifies what he means by verse 11, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament who had been taken up into the third heaven, who had a vision of Jesus Christ, who received revelation unlike any other apostle. And he is saying this, I want to come and share something of Christ with you, and furthermore, that we both mutually may be encouraged. This is the big time apostle Paul, and he is saying to, to, to pagans who, who used to be pagans and now are Christians, and he's saying, I know when I come and see you, you're going to also encourage me. 
You also have something where your faith, your testimony, the measure of Christ in you, it's going to encourage me. Even though I'm an apostle with the authority of God upon my life, Paul is saying, you have something to give to me as well. I'm coming to give to you, and you have something to give to me. There is no one so poor in the church that they cannot bring benefit and blessing even to the quote-unquote strong Christians. I had lunch this, this past week, and I don't think Alan is here. Alan is, is a young man who was a friend to the Wilsons, and he recently got saved. He got radically saved. He called uh, Jenna and, and Heather about two or three weeks ago. He was out of town. He threw out his vape. He said, I need you, God. He called. He, he talked to Heather. Heather said, you really want to do this? You really want to give your life to the Lord? They were on the phone for over an hour. And I just had lunch with him and was able to really sit down and talk with him just this past week. And he, he brought a whole binder full of things. He had, printed, he had gone online. He had printed out um, outlines from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. And he's been reading through the Word of God. And, and Jenna had given him a Bible with all kinds of things highlighted and, and footnoted and, and little, little tags put into it. And, and he was just showing me all the things he's been doing all by himself. He's not in a Christian home. His, 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 his family doesn't support him. His mother and father don't support him. All he has is the church. All he has is the Wilson family and us. And um, he said he would try to be here today, but, but I'm not sure where he is. I'm sure there's a, there's a reason. He got a new job. But when I walked away, when I walked away from that meeting with him, he's a three-week-year-old Christian. I walked away encouraged by him. I walked away with something from that young man. I went to that meeting to encourage and to teach him and to share some things about the Word of God, and I did do that. But I ended up being just as encouraged, I hope, as much as he was for me. And so that is, all of us have something to impart one to another. And that word impart just means to share, to give to somebody else. So, so do not underestimate the value that you bring to the body of Christ. Because Paul did not as well when he was speaking to the Romans. So oh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Continuing on. From the past three weeks. So I ran out of time to teach about the specific gifts that Paul gave in verses 6 through 8. And we only, went, we only skimmed over a couple last week. And that's what I'm going to do here this afternoon, is just expound and teach on what Paul describes here in verses 6 through 8 to help us get greater clarity of God's Word and its application to this content that we're talking about and application to our individual lives. And so we, we, we looked at this just very briefly last week, but if you look here, let's go ahead and start with verse 3, 12 and 3. This is the beginning of his teaching on this. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who was among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in 
Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts according to the grace that is given to us. If you recall, the word gifts in the Greek is charismata. And the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. The root word for gifts is the word grace. It's the exact same Greek root word. They're always inextricably linked together, grace and gifts, as you see here. That is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So this list is not exhaustive. It is not exhaustive that he lists here. So that's, that's one point to, to be noted. And so this is not an exhaustive list. We can see additional things in 1 Corinthians 12, even Ephesians 4. There's a little bit of things talked about in 1 Peter that Peter discusses. But we see here in verse 6, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So I'm going to go through these individual gifts that he gave us, and I'm going to teach on this, and I hope it brings greater clarity to each and every one of us. So when he says prophecy, when you look at prophecy in the Word of God, it involves two things. It's either foretelling or forthtelling. Foretelling, that is, speaking of the future, giving special revelation of the future, what may occur, what's going to occur, or forthtelling, that is, giving a message from God. And you see throughout the Old Testament, you see both in the Old Testament prophets. Oftentimes, it is them telling them to repent, to come back to the Lord, or else the judgment of God is going to befall you. And you see that continuously. Just about every prophet has a word of warning, a word of prophecy concerning the judgment of God. And you see foretelling of what's going to happen, or you see forthtelling. That is them just proclaiming the word of God and calling the people to action to conform to the commands of God. And in this particular context, it would appear that Paul is speaking more so of the latter, that is forthtelling, because he covers probably the more revelatory aspect of it, of prophecy, in 1 Corinthians 12, which we will be teaching on here pretty soon, the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. But in this sense, it could be forthtelling, and that is just proclaiming God's will and exhorting and encouraging God's people. So right now, I am prophesying the Word of God. Not in the sense of foretelling, but I am proclaiming the Word of God which comes from the Word, which does not come from me. It does not come from this, if you will, this constant stream of consciousness that pops into my head, and now I'm telling you as if that's what prophecy is. Oftentimes prophecy is proclaiming the Word of God. Proclaiming the Word of God. And it has to line up, it always must line up with the Word of God. It must line up with the Word of God. When we begin to see people that go astray, Oftentimes, it's because there are extra-biblical things spoken of. Oftentimes, when it's a person who says they're prophesying, they, they impress people. 
because of the way they're able to speak to people. But if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then run. Then run. doesn't matter if they say they're prophesying. It doesn't matter if they think they're a prophet. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, you test everything by the Word of God. The Bereans were more noble than, every, than everyone else because they took the things that Paul said and they went to see if they were true. And the way that they did that, they picked up the Old Testament Scriptures and they confirmed what he said. So any prophecy, whether it be a special revelation that somebody spontaneously gives you by the impulse of the Holy Spirit and gives you a word of prophecy, it has to line up with the Word of God. And anyone who prophesies in the sense of foretelling, proclaiming God's truth, it has to line up with the Word of God. Ultimately, ultimately though, it should always point to the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ. Correct? All of the Old Testament, all the New Testament is summarized in Jesus Christ. He is the, the consummation, the summarization of all things, which is Jesus Christ. So that is what prophecy is. You could go on a lot, long, a lot further on that teaching. Secondly, he says, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. So ministry, to have, to work in your ministry, to use it in your ministering, this word is similar to the gift of helps mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. It means those who serve. That's all it means. It has a broad application to include every kind of practical help. It's a very, very, very broad word. For those of us who are ministering, let us minister. It means to attend to anything that may serve another's interest. So this covers all of us, doesn't it? That there is something, there, there may be some need, some gap in the church at the home where you see somebody is needed to serve in this capacity to meet this need. Whether it be the need of this church or a need of an individual in the church. And it is it is God's intention that we are always scanning and looking and saying, how can I serve? How can I meet the needs of the, the places that might be deficient in the, word, in the people of God, in the church of Jesus Christ? How can I find a place to serve? When we were at the hotel, I guess probably a month and a half ago, we were still at the, the Spindletop Hotel. And, and you all know it's not the greatest part of town. They're on North 11th Street. And we, we had, I think, three or four services there. Well, the first and second service that we had there, um, Clint told me one, one day after one of the services, he came to me, he said, hey, I want you to know, um, Whitney LeBlanc came up to me, his, his, his uh, father-in-law, he said he went up, he came up to me and he asked me, have you all done anything for security? Have you all thought about anything about security? And, and Clint said, no, I mean, things have happened so fast, we're just, you know, we haven't thought about a lot of things. He said, well, it's going to be taken care of today. And so Whitney took it upon himself. He saw a need that it's, it's prudent, it's wise for be, to be harmless as doves, but wise as serpents, realizing where we are, realizing that just anybody can come in and who does who knows what. He saw a need. He's packing heat. He stands out in the hall. And he found a need in the church. Well, that's not very spiritual. We're not comparing it that way. That is a gift. That is a need. And that is how he ministered to the body of Christ. To meet a need in the body of Christ. Very simple example. But you can apply it broadly in multiple ways 
that you see. And so we see, in the sense, the very root of it is when you look at the humility and the place of a servant in John chapter 13, how that Jesus took off his garments and he put on a servant's towel. And so all of us should be going around here, not with noble, nobility, clothing of a noble or with the scepter, with the sword, but all of us should be clothed in a servant's towel. All of us should be armed with a towel. Every single one of us. We should come to church with a towel. We should come here, not to say, what can I get, what can I get, but to say, what can I give to the people of God? Are there times when we come and, we, and always, I need something from God? Yes. There's times when we're especially needy when we come to the house of God. But by the same token, what God has met in your, in your life, the needs he's given you, uh, met in your life, the blessings he's given you, he's blessed you to be a blessing to those around you. And so always have the mindset, when I come here, always, when you put on your suit, when you put on your shoes, when you put on your earrings and your makeup, don't forget your towel at home. Bring your servant's towel when you come to church, when you go to work, when you are with your family at the table. Wear your servant's towel. Find a place to serve somebody, to take on the humility of Jesus Christ. Jesus dignified servanthood. Jesus brought dignity to the place of a servant. If it was not too low for my Lord Jesus, it's not too low for me to take that place of lowliness. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6 real quick. Very quickly, I want to make a further point on this aspect of ministry and serving. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. If you recall, the church of Jesus Christ is exploding. There's more and more disciples. 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost after Peter preached. Um, wonderful things are happening. Wonderful things are happening. But when things are happening, there's always needs in the church. As this place grows, there's going to be increased needs. There's needs now. And, and when God is blessing you, it requires special attention to the things that he's doing. Acts 6 and 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, which is a wonderful thing, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So the Greek-speaking Jews were saying, we're being overlooked in the daily food distribution, and the Jews, the Jewish Christians, are getting preference. Okay? These, are, these are the people who are needy, maybe widows, people who were recipients of, of the daily food distribution. And the Greek-speaking Jews were saying, listen, we're not, we're not being properly taken care of. Verse 2, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So when he says here in verse 2, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, that word serve right there is the exact same word that, Rome, that Romans chapter 12 verse 6 uses. Diakonia. That's the root word where we get our word for deacon. 
Okay? To be a deacon is to be to serve. That's, what, that's, that's the root meaning of that word, deacon. And that's the, that's the word used here for serve tables. So the, the disciples, the 12 disciples, they have been given by the authority of Jesus Christ. They have been granted special authority to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there was a practical need in the body of Christ. Now, because they did not have the view, it's important, they did not have the view what we're doing is more important. That was not what they were thinking. What they were thinking, because the word of God to be spread is important, and because the daily food distribution is important, we're going to take care of this. We're going to appoint men who are well able to do it to serve the people of Christ. And we're going to do what God, by his grace, has called us to do. And by God's grace, these other men, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit and, and used of God, they're going to walk in their gift and their place in the body of Christ, and they're going to meet the need. Because if I'm preaching, I can't simultaneously be giving out food and vice versa. And it's not comparing the two, but it's saying we're all called to something different. And what matters is that you are where you're supposed to be. It's where you're supposed to be. And so he says, it's not desirable when I need to be preaching and giving myself to the things of God. It's not good when God has appointed me to that place that I'm over here giving food to the widow, which is extremely important. But somebody else is called to do that. And so they took care of this in the body of Christ. So therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. I want you to know, look at the standards just to hand out food. Think about this. The high standards that were required just to hand out food to the needy and to the elderly. If you want to say, it's not very spiritual, it doesn't take much. No, these were men who were full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, that were supposed to be led of God, that as they were meeting their practical needs, they were probably also meeting their spiritual needs. They were probably also praying with these people and leading them to Christ and directing them to the truths of God as they were meeting their practical needs in life. That just as their bellies were starving, even so, their spirits were starving for truth. And I'm sure they made these men, men who had these high requirements because they were both spiritual and physical needs that they were going to be meeting. And so it's just a wonderful thing when you look at that, when all of us are in our different places and we're serving the body of Christ. We're where we're supposed to be and we're not comparing our place to somebody else because somebody has to do something and he's called all of us to do things differently. So back to Romans 12. That is ministry. That is just generally serving. It's finding a place to serve and need in the body of Christ and filling in that hedge. Secondly, teaching. Now, teaching and exhortation, we did, looked at last week, but I'm going to go over that for those of us who were not here last week. Teaching. He who teaches in teaching. What is teaching? The ability to interpret clarify, systemize, and explain God's truth. There are some people they can internalize, they can understand the truth of, of God's word, they, they understand it for themselves, they can speak to others pretty well, but when it comes to them to systematically understand and then proclaim the word of God so that others can understand, maybe they're not so gifted in that area. And there are some people in the body of Christ who are especially gifted 
to, with the, the ability to interpret, clarify, systemize, and explain God's truth so that people can understand. And so there are some people who have this gift that they walk in continually. Or there may be moments where, by the Holy Spirit, you're prompted to teach somebody. And the Lord helps you to expound and to explain a truth of the Word of God. We should all be able to, in a very inter- intermediate level, we should all be able to explain the, uh, the, the salvation of the gospel and various things to our children and to those around us. But there, there, there are those who are specially gifted to teach the body of Christ so that they might understand. It's not limited to the pulpit. It's not limited to just men. It includes women, and it can be done on the street corner. It can be done in the Sunday school wing. It can be done at the, at the household where you teach your children, you teach somebody. If you recall in Acts chapter 18, Apollos, who only knew the baptism of John, he was mighty in the scriptures, full of the Holy Spirit, had lots of wisdom, but Aquila and Priscilla noticed that he only had the baptism of John. He only understood the gospel up to a certain point. He had not yet heard the rest of the story pursuant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They took him aside and they taught him more thoroughly. They taught him more thoroughly so that now he could go out and be further equipped to preach and proclaim the word of God. And that's exactly what he did. And you see a woman, that is Priscilla, teaching this other man. It's not limited to women. It's not limited to the pulpit. But it's the ability to clarify, to expound, and to reveal the word of God. Have you ever listened to somebody on the radio and you're just like, that that subject matter was really complicated until that person just explained it to me. That's what that gift does. It takes very complicated, maybe deep things of God, and the Lord gifts those people to make it real to those so they can understand it. Then he goes on to exhortation. Okay? He who exhorts an exhortation. Exhorting you could say is, is synonymous or in the same likened to, let's say, preaching. Okay? Exhorting is a call to action. It's when you have the ability to effectively call others to obey God's truth. I said last week, do you know of preachers who, after they're done speaking, because they have the gift of exhortation, you are ready to give away your house, your car, your dog, because they have so put a, a burning within your heart, you're just ready to go and just, just be a superhero for the Lord. Because they have this gift of exhortation and, and this call to action. Also they're in, in, in included within exhortation is the aspect of encouragement, to positively encourage or comfort or strengthen people who are struggling in the Lord. There are people who are, who are especially gifted in this area. And there's those of you who are, who are here who have that gifting to do that. Some of us have, uh, have more so a gifting to teach. But depending on the speaker, okay, and I said this last week, bear with me, depending on the preacher who's up in front of you, if their gifting falls more so in teaching, you're going to hear more teaching. If their gifting falls more so in exhortation, you're going to hear greater emphasis in exhortation. It's not that the teacher and the exhorter is one or, better, is one or less, um, one is better than the other, it's that they're just different. And God has made them differently. And and here's the wonderful thing, that if God has gifted me to teach and not to be primarily an exhorter or vice versa, that's why there's other people in the body of Christ to fill in that gap. Because it's not all about me. 
It's not all about you. But God has gifted other people to fill in the gap where, where he has gifted others to do so. And so you see this oftentimes. It's not just about the pulpit. It's also about your daily life, the ability to exhort and call people to action. I shared this illustration last week about fat sheep and skinny sheep. We don't want fat sheep in here. We don't want skinny sheep in here. I mean, fat sheep by, if it's only teaching, okay, if it's only revealing truth, which is biblical truth, which is things uh, revealing Christ to us, if it's only teaching and there's no call to action, we're just going to get filled up and become fat sheep sitting on a pew and you do nothing with it. Vice versa, we can be scrawny, malnourished sheep in that there's a constant call to action and to do this and to do that, but if you're not equipped with the proper doctrine and understanding, you're just going to run yourself silly. You're going to run yourself thin. So there has to be a healthy mixture of the two. But a speaker or an individual may, may be honed in one or more area than the other. So you see that in the body of Christ. Now, giving. Look here. In verse 8. He who gives with liberality. He who gives with liberality. That word give is the exact same word used in Romans 1 for the word impart. That is share. With the, with the, the connotation of liberality or generosity. Giving. That is the sacrificial sharing and giving of one's resources and self to meet the needs of others. Whatever money is in your wallet right now, it's not yours. Whatever vehicle is parked out in the parking lot right now, it's not yours. Whatever child of yours may be back there learning at Sunday school, they are not yours. Everything you have, including the very breath in your lungs, is given to you by the Lord. And everything entrusted to us, given to us, is entrusted to our care to be stewards of it. Everything he gives to me is of his own mercy and compassion and grace. And he's only loaning it to me, if you will, for my benefit because he loves me as his child, but then to be a blessing to all people I come in contact with so that ultimately the name of Jesus Christ will be glorified through me. So the wonderful job that you have and the big paycheck you may get, it's not yours. It's the Lord's. And so you ask, Lord, what do I do with this money? How, do, how, am I, how am I supposed to be a good steward of this money? Now, this giving here, he's not talking about specifically tithes and offering. Okay? I'm not going to use this as a soapbox. You better give your tithe and offering to the man of God. No. It can be applied to that, but it's a very broad. It's a giving of any resource, anything that you have entrusted to your care. It is your willingness with a generous heart to willingly give to other people for the benefit of them. It may be money, it may be land, it may be possessions, it may be resources God has given into your hand that you can use, not for your own benefit, but to somehow, how can I bless somebody with this? How can I bless somebody with this? How, how can I increase somebody else? How can I benefit somebody else? And he says, do it with liberality. It's very important, not just that you give, but that you give with the right heart. How many of you have ever given and somebody had to pry open your hand to release what was in your hand? He's saying do it with liberty, 
with a liberality. It's how much do I have to give? It's not that. It's, it's this. It's how much do I get to give? How much do you need? What do you need? I'm going to give it to you. It's not, okay, what do I have to do? What are you, what are you asking me to do now? What, 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 what do I have to sacrifice now? No, he's saying give with liberality. Live, give with a generous heart. Give with cheerfulness. Don't give begrudgingly. That is with reluctancy. That is with the clenched fist. And you reluctantly let go of what's in your hand. He's saying don't give begrudgingly. Don't give compulsory. That is, don't give because you're pressured to give. Or you're manipulated to give. Or you're giving out of fear. Or you're giving with an ulterior motive there. I'm going to give because God's going to give back to me. Listen, we're called to give regardless of the return. We're called just to be obedient and to be generous. Let God take care of the return he wants to give back to us, how he wants to bless us. Listen, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The blessing is already in the giving. And anything that he gives me, that he may bless me with, that's just a bonus. That's an added bonus. There is a great blessing in giving. And some of you may say, well, listen, Stephen, I'm pretty poor. I don't have many resources. I don't have a rich family. I have very little. I don't have much to give. I will, let's think about it this way. But you do have time. Maybe you have a vehicle. You have, you have an open ear. You have a phone. You can call somebody. You can give to somebody. You can give your time, which is, is a very, 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 very precious resource, isn't it? The time in your life. You can give that to somebody. That says a lot. When you take time out of your day and you give it to somebody else so that you can be a blessing to them, you always have something you can give to somebody. And always do it cheerfully as unto the Lord. So ask yourself, what do I have in my possession? What do I have that I can use to bless somebody? Not the man of God, not the church, just somebody, the, the people of God and anybody else. What do I have? Just rack your brain right now. What do I have? that I can use in some capacity to bless somebody. How can I do this? How can I bring edification and strength to the body of Christ? Don't downplay what you can bring, what you can give. And there are some people, though, however, who have a special gift in giving, and they have a special capacity to give. Let me, fi let me finish up with these last two. And he says here in verse 8, He who leads with diligence... How many of you have ever heard the phrase, there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians? There's too, you know, you may be doing something, some sort of activity, trying to plan something, doing, doing something, trying to facilitate, and there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians. You could also have the, the opposite problem. Too many Indians and not enough chiefs. You have to have leadership. For any business, any organization, any church, you have to have somebody who has the gift of administration, of leadership. They have foresight. They can think ahead. They can manage people. They can deal with uh, frustrating matters and able to, to withstand things that, that will tax your patience. And they can manage different personalities and different people. And they, and they can facilitate and they can delegate and they can be responsible for all the moving parts of an organization. Primarily in this context, the church. And so, uh, you know, if, if the pastor does, is, is really a really good preacher, but maybe he's not a great leader, you're going to have some deficiencies in the church. 
Because you, you need to delegate tasks to people. And you need to identify the gifts in other people. And you need to empower other people. And you need to have the ability to, to foresee what's coming up and how to lead your people. And he's saying, you who do leadership, do it with diligence. Don't be lacking. Don't be lazy about it. Put your hands in the plow. Don't look back. And do it diligently. If you're going to do it, do it right. If, you're go- if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. You ever had your mom or dad tell you that growing up? If it's worth doing, do it right. Something you'll hear me say oftentimes, let's, everything we do at this church, let's do it with excellence. If it's worthy of the cause of Christ, it's worthy of all of our diligence, all of our excellence, to put all of our, never, never to allow things to be just a mere afterthought, but, but to really put prayer and time and really put our strength and our effort into everything we do in this church. And so he says, those who lead with diligence. Sheep need a shepherd. People need leadership. And there are those who are especially gifted in administration, those who are able to to guide and to help people through the situations of life. And to do it with diligence, that is with eagerness, with zealousness, to do it passionately as unto the Lord. And lastly, here at Mercy, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What this means is it is one who actively shows sympathy and sensitivity to those in suffering and sorrow. And has both the willingness and the resources to help lessen their afflictions. And frequently this gift accompanies the gift of exhortation. A person who is especially gifted in mercy. They're a minister of mercy. You know those individuals who have a special capacity for compassion and sympathy for people. That they always see, they always see in a very special way, they always see the downcast, they always see the hurting, they always see the suffering, they always see the loner. They're always looking and scanning for the hurting. There are people... And I think all of us should have that. But there are people who are especially, especially made that way where they just, they are, they are attracted to people that are hurting. And they have a special way. They have a, an amount of patience that some of us don't have. Where they can, they can talk to somebody, they can get in the trenches of life with them, and they can, they can disciple them and help them and drive them where they need to go and help them in certain areas of life because they're ministers of mercy. They have a gift of mercy where... People's suffering attracts their mercy to them. And really that's what mercy is in the word of God in, regards to God in regards to the character of God. God's mercy is attracted to misery. When I see somebody suffering, I want to go help that person. I want to show them mercy so that I can alleviate their suffering. It's the same thing that the Lord does to us. He wants to alleviate us in our suffering. So his mercy is attracted to our misery. And so there are some people who have, are especially gifted in this way. But they have this, this amazing capacity just to have this overflowing compassion for hurting people. For hurting people. That should really be a, a, um, a hallmark of a deacon as well. One who serves one who is a minister of mercy, one who can meet the needs of people, identify it. And and listen, how many of you have ever done something where you have sacrificed, you've been over backwards, and you never got a thank you? Yeah? And then you thought, that's the last time I'm doing that for them or anybody. 
There are some people, though, from the very beginning, they're not looking for a thank you. They're not expecting it, and you're willing to show mercies to somebody with the prospect that they may not say thank you. They may not. And they have this capacity just to be overflowing with this compassion and this mercy upon this person. But he says, do it cheerfully. Show mercy to people, but do it cheerfully. Why does he say do it cheerfully? Because this ministry can zap your energy and you can oftentimes be underappreciated. So it is absolutely necessary that you maintain a cheerful attitude in doing it. You're avoiding all grudging and downcast attitude. You're doing it as unto the Lord. This gift of mercy. Do it with cheerfulness. Steve, if you could come help me, please. The whole worship team, if you could come up here with me. But look here at verse 9. Let me end with this. Let me make some closing remarks. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. That is a command expressed to every single one of us. And I would just say this, if you feel that the Lord has, has gifted you in a particular way or he's made you a particular way, your disposition, and you identify with some of these things, don't limit God's ability to work anything else out in your life. Don't, don't, don't say, well, I'm not, I don't have a gift of mercy, so I'm not going to help those who are suffering. Don't, 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 don't block out how God wants to use you in any capacity. Listen, I'm not going to ask you now to take some sort of test to discover your spiritual gift. I would ask you this. What are you already doing right now? What is, what is the disposition of your heart? What, are, what do you think about? How, does God, how has God shaped you and made you? And just think about. Think about how God has created you and think about what you're already doing. Think about that. And I would encourage you, just continue to cultivate that. It's given by God's grace, but we can mature and grow and cultivate in God's giftings in our lives. And so I'll just ask you, just be purposeful about this. Realize you have a place in the body of Christ it may not be specifically identified in this particular scripture, but there is something. All of us have at least a little bit of something. When we come into the body of Christ that we can give to others to edify them. Amen? Would you stand with me?